This morning we're going to be in Psalm 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 1. As you're turning there, uh, I would like to just give you a couple of, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, number one, for everybody who um, is going to be here next week, next week after church, we are going to uh, take down the Christmas decorations as much fun and life and joy as they may bring. We don't want to be those people that keep our decorations up too long. So uh, next week after church, if you plan to stick around, uh, many hands make light work. So we're going to take down the Christmas decorations uh, next week after church. And then next week also, so the week of the 9th, our community groups will launch back up and get back up and running. So we will send out emails as reminders. Uh, but we're planning to get those back up and running next week um, once everybody's back from their holidays and, and being stranded in airports and such. So that will happen next week as well. And then we have some other fun things uh, starting to get planned for the new year. So be paying attention to those. Uh, and as we get going, I would just like to thank everybody, um, everybody for making it possible for us to continue to meet regularly, uh, whether it be in person or online. There's a lot of people that serve and love this church, uh, from the hospitality team to the music team and the, the Grace Place team and, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody who just does a lot around this church, our elders, our community group leaders that love and serve this place and encourage and pray for this place. Thank you very much uh, for all of the ways that you love and care for this church, especially in this last year. Um, and these last couple of years that have been kind of back and forth and up and down. And, uh, it's, it's a great blessing to be part of this community, and I'm, I'm so thankful for all of you. So thank you very much. Um, as I said, we're going to be in Psalm 1 this morning. And Psalm 1 uh, really sets the tone for all of the book of Psalms and really is a good guidepost for the story of the Bible. <clears throat> and a good one for us as we walk into a new year. And as I said, with a new year where we have resolutions and we have plans and opportunities and we have these things that we want to do, we want to accomplish, we want to get healthier, we want to get smarter, we want to do better, be better in all of these different ways. And many of those things are great things. If you want to get healthy, get healthy. That's awesome. Um, I would ask that as you think about your resolutions and you think about this new year and what this new year can be, I would ask, what is your why? What's driving those things? What's driving your desire to change? What's driving your desire to, quote, unquote, do better? Because the why matters. Because if the why is not something grounded in glorifying God and walking closer with God, then your why is going to let you down eventually. But if your why is centered on this is, this is a way in which I can glorify God, I can worship God, I can enjoy God more in pursuing these things to the glory of God, then that why is going to help you get through when it's hard to hang on to those resolutions. We make these resolutions, right? We make these, these changes, these things we want to do for the new year. And the hope is not, you know, okay, I'm going to do this for a year. I'm going to get to December and then I'll be done with this thing, right? Usually when we make resolutions... It's usually about, okay, I want to do this and then do this going forward, right? I read an article uh, last night that said that took a survey of people that the, it's not a big surprise, I think, in the midst of the pandemic that most people's resolutions this year, uh, or at least the ones that were surveyed, had to do with health in some form or fashion, people wanting to get healthier in some form or fashion. That's great. Those people who made those resolutions didn't say, like, I want to get healthier for 2022, but in 2023, I'm just going to get real lazy and fat. No, you want to get healthy so that you can continue to be healthy going forward. 
And so when we make these resolutions, they're not intended to be one and done. We want to see real substantial change. We want to see things in our lives move forward. And what Scripture is going to say is that, in general, as you're moving forward, as you're living through this life, there are really two sides that you can be on. And, and that's really your only options. You have, you have one of two ways that you can go. Not just this year, but moving forward. You have one of two options for how you can go. And, and Psalm 1 kind of contrasts them and sets up, as I said, as a guidepost really for all of Scripture. It's you are either walking in line with God's will or you are walking against it. There is no third option. There's no third way. You are walking with God, in line with God, or you are walking against him. And what we're going to see this morning is the contrast between those two ways. And my hope and prayer is in seeing these things and seeing even some very practical ways that Psalm 1 lays out that says, here's what it looks like. Here's how to be able to walk in righteousness, walk in blessing, as he's going to say. Here's what that looks like. And it's practical, tangible stuff. I know not always we walk away from sermons and it's like, here are the three practical, tangible things I can walk out and do. But today, I'm going to give you one big practical thing that I guarantee you will change your life and change your 2022, will change your week if you will do it. So that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to pray again because it's good to pray. So let's pray. God, you're good and awesome and wonderful, and we love you. You have given us your word. You have given us this book to enjoy and enjoy you. God, give us a hunger and thirst to know you more. Give us a, a desire to grow in understanding who you are, that we might know you better. Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because you're the God of all existence, and you made us and know us and love us so much you would send your son to die for us. We are so thankful of that. God, help us to focus on you, to hear from you, and to respond to you this morning. We thank you and praise you. Amen. All right, so Psalm 1. I'm going to read it, and then we'll go through kind of verse by verse. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So as I said, this psalm really contrasts two different ways you can go. You have the way of the righteous versus the way of the wicked. The righteous is blessed and secure. The wicked is perishing and temporary. And as I've said, there is no third option here. See, most people want to say, well, okay, I'm definitely not wicked. Because I can compare myself to like three to five people off the top of my head who I know are worse people than I am. So I know I'm not wicked. I'm not evil. At the very least, I, I know that I'm not the worst person even that I know. And then usually if they're honest, or somewhat honest, they can say, well, I know I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I have flaws. So I don't know if I'd totally call myself righteous. I mean, I'm not totally wicked, but I'm also not totally righteous. I'm somewhere in the middle. They create this middle-of-the-road third way. And the problem with that way of thinking, as I've already said, is the Bible. Because Scripture doesn't give us a third option. It's either you are on the side of righteousness or you are on the side of wickedness. 
to try and pursue this third way is like driving on the median of the highway. It doesn't, it's not a real road and it won't lead you anywhere and it's only going to hurt you. You can't just make it up. You can't just decide, I don't want to go on that side or this side. I'm just going to go right in the middle. That doesn't work that way. So what do we mean by righteousness and wickedness? If, if these are your two options, if these are the two sides that God says you are on one or the other, we need to have a pretty good idea of what these two things are. So let's start with wickedness because wickedness doesn't necessarily mean vile and nasty and evil. It can but when the Bible talks about the wicked, it's not always talking about like the person who you know, like, takes candy from babies or switches lanes in traffic without signaling or lives in a volcano plotting world domination. Like, it's not always like the most wicked, evil person. It can be. But when the Bible talks about wicked, it's, it's not usually or not even all the time talking about those people. The wicked also aren't just people who are guilty of sin. It's not just all of the sinners, all the people who have sinned are wicked because we know that for all have fallen short of the, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it's not that all sinners are in there because everyone has sin in their lives. When the Bible usually talks about wickedness, especially when we're talking about it here in the Psalms, the wicked describes the people who have decided they're on a different path. They've decided to chart their own course, as it were. The, the wicked are those people who consider themselves autonomous. People who decide, I can create my own moral code. They choose their own path. They determine, they determine for themselves, here's what is right, here's what is wrong, by their own judgment, and especially in today's world, their own experience, and they refuse to be guided by someone else's truth, even the wisdom of God. They say, I know what's best for me based on what I know and my experience and what I've seen in the world. I am going to create my own moral guide. And so the wicked are really defined by a disregard for God's revealed wisdom. Instead, they are stuck in, on their own, their own ideas and decide they, they know what is best. They know how to live what is right and wrong. Now you contrast that with the righteous. The opposite of wicked, if, if wicked is not necessarily just vile, evil, and nasty, then righteousness is not necessarily, when we're talking about the righteous person, is not necessarily perfection. It's not that a righteous person never screws up. Instead, the righteous person is defined by their ultimate pursuit, even in the times and places when they fall short of the glory of God, when they fall short of pursuing God's will for their life. The most obvious example that comes to mind is King David. Right? King David had everything he could want. He was walking in line with God. He's killing bears and lions. He's defeating giants. He's killing armies for, and leading God's people. He is a rock star in his own time. And then we know that he has his uh, affair with Bathsheba. He does this horrible thing where, best case scenario, he's just an adulterer, possibly much worse, depending on how you want to translate that Hebrew. And not only does he sleep with a married woman, but then he has her husband killed in the battle that he oversees. And later on, it says, in the eyes of God, it is David who is the murderer of Uriah. He finds himself in deep, deep darkness. But we see God call David back to himself. And David responds. He confesses. He repents. And he once again turns his heart towards God to walk in line with him. 
And that's why we can say David is a man after God's own heart because even in his stumbling, even in his falling, his fallen nature, his sinful, his most wicked, most horrible, most evil thing that he could possibly do, when it's over, he is convicted and he steps into that and he confesses and he repents and turns himself toward God. See, the righteous aren't those who never stumble off the path. The righteous are those who, when they stumble off the path, they let God help them find their way back again. Because when you sin and you are convicted of that sin, of what you have done, it can either drive you out further away from God and deeper into the darkness or to the grace and forgiveness of God. Right? It's contrasting. It's, it's Adam and Eve. After they sin, they hide when they hear God coming because they want no part of the perfection of God. And you contrast that with, say, Jesus' story of the prodigal son, who after he has hit rock bottom and he knows he's got nothing left, he goes to the father saying, I, I just, I, I need something, I need you. And he doesn't even need him to want him to be his son anymore, he just wants to be a servant. And the father says, no, I'm not here for that, you're, you're my son and I'm going to restore you, because that's where God is, he's a God who restores grace after grace, mercy upon mercy. Sin can either drive you away from God or drive you into the grace and forgiveness of God. That's the sign of the righteous. So you are either pursuing God, walking with him, or walking away from him. There is no third middle road in between. The righteous, as David's going to say, is blessed. So we see in verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed is the man, that's generic man, that's kind of like guys or y'all. So ladies, don't hear this and think, okay, well, Psalm 1 doesn't count for me. This is for everybody. Blessed is the man or woman. And this word blessed here, some translations it might say happy. It's content. It's The root comes from the word to make straight, to make right. It talks about a, a complete happiness, a complete joy, a complete satisfaction and being content in your life. It's not just that you are blessed with stuff, but it is a satisfaction, it is a rest and a peace in your life. Who doesn't want rest and peace coming this year? Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of of scoffers. It is a full and complete mind, body, soul, rest, happiness, joy, being content. So I think it's interesting that we start this psalm and it's blessed is the one who doesn't do these things. And he gives us three things that we are to not do if we want to be this blessed, this happy, this content, this fulfilled, satisfied person. First is do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. To walk with, in Hebrew, is for someone to be a follow, to, uh, follow after, to be influenced by someone. So when rabbis called their followers, he would say, follow me, walk with me. The idea being that you would spend so much time under that rabbi, that you would spend so many, so many hours with him, that you would come to know his mannerisms, you would come to know his thoughts, the way he interpreted scripture, the way he carried himself around people, that he, his life would rub off on you so that you yourself, when you became a Pharisee, when you became a rabbi, other people could see you and say, oh, he's a follower of so-and-so. You can tell by the way he interprets this, by the way he carries himself here. Your rabbi, your mentor, your leader, you walked with them so much that they rubbed off on you. So when Jesus tells his disciples, hey, follow me, 
What he's saying to them is, come walk with me. Come live and be so closely connected to me so that the world, you would reflect me to this world. And so an easy asking point here is, are you walking so closely with Jesus that you're reflecting him to the world? In the way that you carry yourself, in the way that you interact and engage with this broken, dark world, do people see Jesus in the way that you walk? The righteous, the the blessed person, the happy, content, fulfilled person does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, the advice and influence of the wicked. I was having this conversation with, with Mike Rico actually just a couple of days ago about this idea of relationships in our lives have tears. Right? It's kind of like the, the bullseye. Right in the center of the bullseye, right in the heart, those are the people that have the greatest influence on you, the people you have closest to you, whether that's family, a spouse, your best friend, whatever. It's, it's the people who, that inner circle, right, of, of handful of people who have the most influence, the, most, the people you would seek their counsel. And the farther out on the bullseye you get, less and less influence those people should have on you, so that the people on the outer ring, they could be people you work, they could be, you know, uh, acquaintances, neighbors, whatever, maybe you don't have a deep relationship with them, they're, you're friendly, but, but they're not the people that, like, you're going to for, for life advice, they're not the people you're going to for, for deep, intense counsel, and I think it's okay that you can have some people out here that would fall under this idea of wicked, this idea that there are people, you're allowed to have non-Christian friends if you're a Christian. Not only are you allowed to, you should. You should have relationships. You, should, you do not ignore and, and just ignore people who are not Christians. You can't only hang out and interact and talk with people who act, talk, think like you. It's good to have relationships with people who think differently and who are on all levels of that bullseye, but where do those people fit and what kind of influence do they have on you? Just a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus as the wonderful counselor. The influence, guidance, advice, and direction coming from the very embodiment of truth himself, the originator and director of truth. And you contrast that with the counsel of the wicked, the advice, the instruction of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked, like the wicked itself, is fleeting, failing, temporary, and cheap. It's why in verse 4 it says that the wicked are not so. They are like chaff in the wind that the wind drives away. Chaff is the flaky coating that is on the outside of grain. So during the harvest time, you would take the heads of grain and you would literally, you would uh, at times throw them in the air and let the wind blow the chaff. And chaff is so light, it would blow it off of the grain. The grain heads would fall because they're so heavy and the chaff would blow away. The counsel of the wicked is cheap. It is flaky. It is light. It can't withstand this world and the winds and storms of this world and what they actually throw at us. The other component of understanding and identifying the count is that we need to understand and identify the counsel of the wicked. Do you know when you're getting influence and direction and bad advice? Can you determine, can you discern what is good advice, good instruction, good counsel versus wicked or bad? Thankfully, as Christians, we have a way to check those things. As we just said, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He is the truth giver. And the Bible, the word of God, is just that. We can take any influence, any guidance, any counsel, and press it up against the Bible and say, do these two things line up? Do these things connect together? But to do that, 
you got to actually be in the book. I mean, very practically speaking, I told you, I was going to give you something real practical to cling on to for 2282 this year, and it's, it's this. If you believe, if we believe that the Bible actually is what we claim it to be, what the Bible itself claims to be, the living and active Word of God, and we trust what it says, then we got to be reading it. If you want 2022 and going forward to be marked by growth and change and newness and maturity and prosperity and blessedness, as, as the psalm says, then you got to open the book. you got to get in and actually read it. And I promise you, if you will devote yourself to getting in the Word daily, you will see life change. Because that's what this book does. It changes lives. If you will give yourself the time, if you will give God the time to let him speak to you, I promise you it's going to change your life because that's what he does. That's what the Bible does. It changes lives. And I say that to all of us, and I don't care how long you've been a Christian. There is always more. There is always something new. There is always something fresh. If you want to avoid finding yourself being led by bad counsel, then go to the truest, purest counsel there is and rest in that. Scripture is giving is a, is God giving us instruction, giving us encouragement, giving us life-giving instruction and counsel. But for so many of us, we got seven Bibles in our house and they're all just collecting dust. Or we have the one that just sits kind of by the door so that we can grab it on Sunday and then it goes right back in its same spot so that next Sunday we know where it is. But in between, we don't touch it. But if we actually believe this is what it says it is, if the God of all existence, the one who is holding all things in his hands, him speaking to us, why in the world would we not consume that? This is where you would find good counsel so that we do not walk, so that we are not influenced by, so that we are not so consumed by the counsel of the wicked, we find counsel here in Scripture. The psalmist also says, not only does the blessed person not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but also does not stand in the way of sinners. The blessed person sees the path and pursuit of those who are pursuing their own destruction and chooses to establish themselves elsewhere. They aren't standing. They aren't lingering. This word has to do, it's kind of closely tied to the idea of loitering. It's just kind of like existing, basically. They aren't hanging out in that very path of destruction. Jesus says in Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, and it beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Where are you building your life? What is the foundation? What's the core ground level of your life? The blessed person sees those who actively are missing the mark. That's sin, the, the way of the sinners. Sinners means someone who misses the mark. You have an aim at something and you miss what you are aiming at. That's what the literal word for sin is. 
And so the blessed person sees those who are actively missing the mark, actively shooting their shot in the wrong direction. So the target is over here, but these people, when it says sinners here, it's not the person who is pursuing perfection but misses in pursuit, but rather, I know the target's over here, I'm shooting over this way. The blessed person sees those people who are actively shooting in the wrong direction, and rather than stopping and taking aim with them at the wrong target, the blessed person avoids that life, does not stop to stand and linger and exist, but rather establishes themselves to linger and exist in the goal of gaining gaining knowledge and understanding and a deeper relationship with God. You can stand with the sinners, you can stand with those who are wasting their lives in pursuing destruction, or you can stand grounded in the foundation of God. The blessed person does not walk in the counsel of wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Sit in the seat of scoffers, mockers, criticizers. Those are the people who want to be armchair quarterbacks for everything. They know what's best. They can call that play better. They could run the country better. They could do every job, every performance, everything better themselves. They have nothing helpful necessarily to add to the conversation other than criticism and conflict. This is a big issue, especially with social media today. Everybody wants to point a finger. Everybody wants to criticize the things that are wrong and broken. Specifically, let's talk about, we're in church, let's talk about church. Everybody wants to wag a finger and talk about what are all the things, all the blemishes, all the ways in which the church is messed up. But very few want to actually roll up their sleeves and be part of making things better. They'd rather sit and scoff. They are known for their conflict rather than their helpfulness. They're known for what they are against rather than what they are for. And so they say things like, I can't believe you would follow that political party, that you would vote for that candidate. I can't believe you go to that church. I can't believe you actually believe the Bible, and the, the world being, being created in seven days, or this idea of resurrection, or this idea of pick anything in the Bible and say, I can't believe you would think that. Like the walls of Jericho really did just fall down because nothing touched them. I can't believe you would actually believe those things. I can't believe you would actually work for that company. I can't believe you would raise your kids in that way, that you would send them to that school. We do this as people. We draw these arbitrary, unhelpful lines of distinction between us, and we judge one another for our choices that aren't in and of themselves sinful, but rather just different from our own preferences and preferences and opinions. This way of living doesn't produce happiness. It doesn't produce joy or fulfillment or any of the things that blessing actually has to deal with. Instead, it brings anger and pain and hurt. It leaves you isolated and lonely, longing for real community and real relationships, but you don't actually want to put in the time and energy to do it. If you aren't willing to work through issues and disagreements and work toward unity, you will never have it. You've got to get up and actually do the work. You can't just sit and scoff. And we can see a little bit of progression between these things, right? Walking and following bad, wandering counsel can lead to establishing yourself, loitering, hanging out, actively pursuing being against God. And then as you do that, you take a seat, you sit down, and not only are you pursuing your own aimless efforts, but now you want to try and bring down everybody else around you and hurt anybody who doesn't agree with you. This is not the path to blessedness. This is not the path to see in 2022 have any kind of growth and happiness and maturity in your life. It's a slippery slope of unhelpful pursuits 
And I think David starts this psalm with this because it can lead to so many other easily distracting and destructive consequences. And so he gets off of these things in verse 1, and he says, to contrast that, this is what the way of the wicked would be. The blessed man doesn't do that. The blessed woman doesn't do that. But instead, in verse 2, his delight, her delight, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Instead, the blessed person delights in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord, originally, that would be the law, the Ten Commandments and the law God gave to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Then this phrase, law of the Lord, came to be regarded as the the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Then over time, it came to encompass, really, the Word of God. And it says, the blessed person delights in the law of the Lord, finds pleasure in it, enjoys it. The blessed person finds delight and enjoys the word of God. Now, at the time of this writing, at the time the Psalms were written, David probably only did have the first five books of the Bible. He probably only did have the Torah. You know, those first five books of the Bible that we struggle to get through, that you, you kind of skip over and you pick and choose what you're going to read, the, the, like the big hurdle for everybody who like, wants to do read the Bible in a year. Like you're going to get to like numbers, and that's where people get fall off because it's just lists of stuff. David says, I delight in that. I enjoy that. I find pleasure in that. When you delight in something, when you find pleasure and enjoy something, you don't have to be convinced or convicted to do it. You just do it because you like to. David had like this much This much of God's word? We got all of this. David had a shadow of a glimpse of an idea of the Messiah coming. We got Jesus walking. We got his words. David had just a vague concept of what the kingdom of God could look like. We've seen it play out, and we get to experience it now. And for what David had was was law and instruction, and he delights in it. He enjoys it. In another psalm, he says, it's like honey on my tongue. He says, I think about it before. When I wake up, it's what I'm dwelling on. When I go to sleep, it's what I'm dwelling on is God's word. And amen, we have so much more of it. How much more should we be delighting in it? And yet we see reading the Bible and being in the Word as this burden or this challenge or this thing I gotta do rather than this thing I get to do. Why? What is it that's holding you up from enjoying, not just reading, but enjoying the Word of God and enjoying the Maker of all existence speaking to you? I told you, your why matters. What is that thing? What's the why that you don't enjoy God? Figure that out, and when you figure that out, if you want to work through that, I'd love to work through that with you. If you want to have this blessed life, if you want 2022 to be marked by growth and blessedness, it comes from finding a delight in the Word of God. Now, for some of us, it won't be instant. It's a discipline to grow in. It's one that, I'll be honest, again, this church, I can be honest, I'm not great at it. 
I struggle with it myself, but I also know from personal experience, I know that there's so much life and joy and goodness in this word, and I forget from time to time, and I don't want to forget anymore because I know it's better to be in Scripture than not in Scripture. I know for me, I know for my heart and my head and, what, and how I think and how I process the world that if I'm not putting the word in, if I'm not finding time and, and enjoying and just sitting in it for my own enjoyment, I know what happens to me. I know how exhausted and beat up by the world I can get. Brothers and sisters, enjoy it. Find pleasure and joy in it because this is God speaking to you. David takes it a step further. He says, not only does the blessed person delight in the word of God, but meditates on it day and night. The most basic definition of meditation is slowing down, taking in, dwelling on, and responding to God's word. It's very different than what you would normally think when you think of the word meditation, right? New Age and Eastern religions have taken over the idea of meditation, right? It's sitting uncomfortably, uncomfortably somewhere and being quiet for long stance of time or like chanting something. That concept is very different from what the Bible calls meditation. Because like in, in Buddhism and other religious systems, their goal in meditation is to clear their mind. Completely disconnect yourself from everything. This state of almost nothingness. It's like you put your computer in sleep mode. It's just kind of like, I, I just kind of exist, sort of. But that's not what meditation in scripture is calling for. We are not called to try and distance ourselves from reality or to empty ourselves, but rather to dwell on and fill ourselves up with the word of God. We don't disconnect from the world, but rather we take the word of God, dwell on it, and put it into practice in the world. Biblical meditation is not passive, but active. It is the active taking in of God's word, focusing on, considering, and dwelling on his word. And it's in then that we respond to what we have taken in and dwelt on. The way I was taught about what it means to meditate on something has to do with a cow. When a cow grazes in the field, it eats the grass. The cow doesn't have enough enzymes to completely break down the grass and get all of the required nutrients from it, at least not the first go-round. So once the grass has been partially digested by a cow, the cow is going to then regurgitate what's left back up into its mouth and chew on it some more. It's going to get the remainder of what is digestible and the rest of the nutrients from it, and then it's going to swallow it, let it digest again, and if need be, it's going to throw it back up into its mouth, chew on it some more, get some more enzymes broken down, swallow it again. When they throw up that first time, what they are throwing up is called the cud. If you ever heard the phrase chewing the cud, that's where it comes from. That's what meditation is. I give you this illustration because it's kind of gross and I want it to stick with you. This is what we do with meditation with Scripture. Step one is slow down. It's not a race or a rush. It's an intentional time to be present with God. We take in, we ingest the word of God. We hear it, we read it, we study it, we take it in. And then we chew the cud. We break it apart. We consider it. We take our time with it. We suck out everything we can from it. Let it get into your brain. Let it get into your heart and your soul. This is where prayer comes in. We're praying through it. Piece by piece, praising God, petitions of God, confession to God, thanking God. It's not just about taking in information. It's about transformation. So as we digest in that second or third or fourth time dwelling on some piece of Scripture and praying through God's Word, we're allowing Scripture to be living an active Word and responding to it in our lives. 
That's what the Word of God will call us to do, to respond to it. This is not just a book of facts and figures. It is not about information, but it is about application and transformation of our lives. Blessedness, being content, finding this joy and delight comes from being in meditating in the Word of God. It is in God. It is in pursuing Him, in pursuing His presence and person that we find blessing and happiness and joy and rest and gladness and fulfillment. It's in pursuing Him that we see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. We see it in verse 3. He, the person who is blessed, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But verse 4, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff the wind drives away. To pursue God, you find stability. You find roots like a tree. You find health and prosperity, life and life-giving qualities in pursuing and resting in God. The opposite of that is to be like the wicked, like the chaff that we talked about, blown by the wind. Tossed around, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of direction, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are now to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Because the wicked, as we said, have decided that they know best, that they need no outside force or direction, that they can figure it all out on their own. It's a misguided, unstable existence that allows for them to be tossed and thrown and beaten down by every and any inconvenience that is thrown at them. But for the blessed, for the righteous, they are like a tree planted and rooted, those roots going miles into the ground that would can withstand storm after storm because our rooted, our groundedness is not in ourselves, not in our circumstances, but in the truth and reality of our God. He continues on in verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, it's not just a for now thing. This goes forward. This ends poorly for the, for the wicked. We see in verse 1 that the wicked stand in their path, but one day they will have no ground to stand on. They will have no substance. They have no ability to find their footing because they have not grounded or rooted themselves in anything or anyone other than themselves. They will fall because there is a judgment coming. But for those who have placed their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there is grounding and stability and life and hope. For those who choose the other way, everything else is sinking sand. That's what David sums up in verse 6. He sums this up in that there is one way to know God and the other is to perish. To know, this phrase in the Bible is intimate. It means more so than, it means to know someone intimately, personally. It doesn't mean just knowing facts and figures about someone. It's to have a relationship with them. So it doesn't mean that God simply takes in the information. He's just watching in a passive way as we live out this life. No, it looks, he's not just watching and paying attention. It means God is intimately, actively involved in our lives. He intimately knows the righteous, those who trust him. And he knows the path, the way, the road that they are on. And he knows because he is there guiding and leading, comforting and protecting. And even in those times, because 
2022 is going to have times of dark and times of hard for all of us. Just as David says in another very famous psalm, the Lord is with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. When the shadow of death and destruction is cast over our lives, we are not alone. Which not only reminds us that he is with us, but that he will be with us as we walk through some of those times. We are not immune to the wickedness of this world, but we aren't alone in it. I can't predict what 2022 is going to hold for any one of us. But I know that this book, and I know the God whose word this book is, as he reveals himself to us, as he speaks to us, this book tells us that if we pursue God, if we pursue and go looking for him, if we delight in him and enjoy his word, there is a blessedness, a contentness, a completeness waiting for us. There's a rest there waiting for us in the presence of God. And after the way the last two years have gone, that rest sounds real good to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because it gives light. And it gives light and it brings joy. God, help us to delight in your word. Help us to enjoy your presence. Help us to enjoy pursuing you and knowing you more and more. And even in the times and days where we don't feel like it, where we might not want to, where we might be just kind of overwhelmed by sometimes the, the work that has to go into studying your word to truly understand it, God, give us that hunger. Give us that thirst. Remind us there's more and more of you to know, more, of, more and more of you to understand, to grasp and, and dwell on. God, we want to be these people. We want to be those who are the blessed. And you lay it out for us on how, what to avoid and what to pursue. It's the same message you've been telling us over and over again. Pursue you. Focus on you. Dwell on you. Fixate ourselves on you. Trust you. God, it feels and it sounds so simple. And it makes so much sense, but when we get out into the world and it feels like, feels like Peter walking on the water where he sees the wind and the waves and we see the overwhelming, noisy, exhausting nature of this world and we get so lost and distracted. That help us to fix our eyes, our hearts, our minds on you. God, we thank you and we praise you for all that you are, all that you have been doing, all that you are doing, all that you're going to do in this upcoming year and beyond. Thank you and praise you. Amen.